We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Herter. Today, I want to answer the question, what is it all for? Seems like a reasonable question. I've been asking a lot of questions lately. Most of those questions have been in regards to the devil's plan to play God at the end of the age. I answered questions like, what is the beast? And what is the mark of the beast? And the last episode is, what is the image of the beast? I did everything I could to answer those questions as thoroughly and biblically and theologically comprehensively as I could. A lot of this is brand new. A lot of it, like, I'm not able to find what I'm saying in commentaries or in in books that have been written. Um, So in a lot of ways, I'm pioneering a new eschatological perspective. And while that is all fine and good, and, you know, maybe even exciting on some levels, I mean, what's not exciting about a brand new eschatological paradigm, especially if it potentially could be true? I mean, you know, worst case scenario, I am peddling a paradigm of my own making that isn't really grounded in the Bible, that I have gotten the false prophet wrong, you know, you know, potentially, you know, the beast really is the Antichrist along the lines of a Nikolai Carpathia, and I, you know, missed it. Maybe I missed the true biblical paradigm. The good news is there's, there's a lot of folks who are, have been uh, talking about that paradigm for a long time. So I don't think I'm going to be able to undo what's been done if it's false. Now, best case scenario, obviously if you're me, <laughs> is that um, I am on to something, right? That... We've been looking at these passages in a wrong way for a long time. Now, that's, that's a bold statement, and I'm not like one to get super excited about being the guy who's saying, hey, folks, we're, we've been looking at the Bible, at least in this particular subject, with the wrong lens. We've been applying the wrong paradigm, right? Me coming along and saying, the Nikolai Carpathia paradigm, where the beast is the Antichrist, the false prophet is a pope or whatever, and the mark of the beast is a UPC, and the image of the beast is a statue of some sort, right? Like, if I'm coming along and saying, hey, guys, we're looking at this in the wrong way. We actually have the, the profiles a little bit jumbled. We need to look at the false prophet as the Antichrist and the beast as Satan's expression in the earth through a, I'm going to say it again just for my own sake, 
The beast is a network of human and non-human intelligence. Right? The beast isn't a guy. It's a network of intelligence that functions as a single entity that eventually is embodied when fallen humanity violates the first commandment from Sinai fundamentally violates God's command not to simulate things, not to create an image, not to build an image of something we see on the earth and worship it as our God, because that is exactly what is going to happen according to the prophecy in Revelation 13. Fallen humanity is going to gather together. They're going to think this is a really good idea, and they're going to fundamentally violate the first command that Moses came down from Sinai with, that God inscribed in a tablet of stone saying, do not do this. And this will be the crowning achievement of fallen humanity, the great technological advance, right? The magnum opus of fallen humanity to simulate, to make an image for the beast, Now, in this best-case scenario that I'm potentially introducing a new paradigm with which to see and understand eschatology, to understand Bible prophecy, that basically boils down to saying that the false prophet isn't a sidekick. The false prophet is the Antichrist, right? Like, I mean, if you just really just boil down, like, what's the difference of what you're saying it's as simple as that. So, I even worst case scenario, if I'm wrong and I'm missing it, which could absolutely be the case, it's not going to qualify as you know disqualifying heresy because we're in kind of a peripheral area, right? This is a uh, this is. Bible prophecy where there's some symbols and metaphor and, you know, apocalyptic language that, let's face it, you know, we, we could point to Luther saying, hey, Luther, you're calling the you know Catholic Pope the beast. That's heresy, right? Like, we kind of give people a pass at some level. And I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, I deserve a pass. I'm just saying generally when it comes to eschatology, when it comes to Bible prophecy, we generally go like, all right, everybody's just kind of doing their best with this. Because, hey, it's, it's tough. It's tough sledding. It's difficult. We're not changing our doctrines regarding faith in Christ or the grace of God by which we are saved. All of those things are central to what we believe, central to orthodoxy and the, the faith that we contend for. But in this best case scenario that I'm introducing a new eschatological paradigm so that we can actually understand what's happening in our world and where our world is going. And we can actually go like, oh, my goodness, guys like Elon Musk could actually be very dangerous, right? They're ideas that we need to merge with artificial intelligence, that we need to merge ourselves potentially with a network of intelligence that will be democratized, so it will potentially be a system of human 
and non-human or machine intelligence, right? In that scenario, a guy like Elon Musk who says, what humanity needs to do more than anything is we need to go along for the ride. We need to leave our human biology behind and we need to merge. We need to embrace our transhuman future. We need to open our evolutionary future, the progress and um, transcend our biology and and become technological gods as we merge with artificial intelligence, right? This whole idea, this transhumanist idea is a very dangerous one if you understand that Bible prophecy warns about a beast that is composed of a network of human and non-human intelligence that rises and that there's one human that leads humanity astray, points humanity away from their creator and leads them into the hands of this beast. See, that scenario doesn't make sense or maybe isn't very worrying or maybe is worrying on different levels. I don't know exactly what. If we're convinced that we're looking for Nikolai Carpathia, right? If the Antichrist, Nikolai Carpathia, is coming with his sidekick and we're looking for that, is it possible that we fall right into a trap? The transhumanist trap? And we go like, well, yeah, we're merging with artificial intelligence. Yeah, we're leaving. We're not going to be humans anymore. But the good news is, is it's not Nikolai Carpathia and his sidekick, right? We're looking for the wrong paradigm. We're expecting the wrong things. Therefore, we're understanding what's happening in a wrong way. Now, if I'm wrong and Nikolai Carpathia does come, then we go like, ah, okay. The Nikolai Carpathia paradigm is in play. And I'll be the first to admit it. Like, if Nikolai, you know, arises and he has, you know, the David Copperfield-type sidekick along with him that's doing magic tricks, um, then I will be the first one to change my podcast to the Nikolai Carpathia podcast. And that, you have my word on that. I'll, and and the and, and the first the first episode will be I was wrong about transhumanism I was wrong about artificial intelligence I was wrong about guys like Elon Musk that'll be the first and I'll say man guys I'm sorry I got all fired up about all that stuff you know maybe happening I totally missed it and I you know I just that's just what I saw and I thought that was in the word and I was just doing my best I mean truly from a genuine intention, right? Like I'm just seeing what's in the word and I'm doing my best to obey God and, and uh, you know, teach the word as I'm, I'm seeing it, right? Like that'll be my first episode. Guys, I missed it. Welcome to the Nikolai Carpathia podcast where we delve into Nikolai Carpathia and his sidekick and the UPC tattoo and a statue that talks. Like, I will be the first guy who does that. Worst case scenario. I will. I will. Nobody will listen to that. 
<laughs> you might listen to like one episode just to laugh, maybe. But you know, after that, you'd probably be like, "All right, I'm done. I'm done. I don't. Know. You missed the whole, you know, transhumanism thing so badly. Why would I listen to what you have to say about Nikolai Carpathia? <sighs> and I wouldn't blame you. In fact, I wouldn't think that podcast would last very long. The Nikolai Carpathia, because Nikolai would probably want to shut that podcast down. Um, but a best case scenario, I'm actually onto something. I'm actually pushing forth a new eschatological paradigm with which to understand where our world is actually heading and that it's um, fueling saints and um, arming their minds for the kingdom of God. They can actually discern the signs of the time and they can um, pray and preach and teach and do ministry with kingdom clarity because they're aware of what's happening, where it's going, and they have full confidence in the God who has shown them all these things, right? Like, best case scenario, I'm right, right? So what? What does it mean? What does it mean? Yeah, it's cool to expose the enemy. Yes, I love to expose the enemy. I love to understand what's happening so that I am equipped to fulfill my calling in Christ. I'm, I'm absolutely on board for exposing the enemy. But at, when it's all said and done, the beast is thrown into a, a fiery pit, into the lake of fire. The false prophet is thrown into a lake of fire. The great harlot is burned with fire. Actually burned by the beast of all things, if you can believe that, but that's what happens. So we spent all this time understanding, you know, the devil's plan, exposing the enemy. Ooh, that's... Great, and it's it's legit. I'm not saying it's not legit. And some people, for, for them, that's enough. Like, yeah, I'm just all about whatever the devil's doing. As long as we can talk about that, I'm good. All of that is going in the trash. It's all going in the trash. We can be, you know, demonologists and understand the ins and outs of everything the enemy wants to do. But it's going to be burned in fire forever. So it feels a little bit short-sighted to make everything we do and everything that we're about the, the enemy and his plan and what he wants to do. So if I'm not in it for the long game, and when I say the long game, I mean the eternal game, and what am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, yay. Yay, you figured out, you know, you, you, you know, best case scenario, you helped to figure out, you were part of figuring out, you know, the enemy's plan to, you know, tether fallen humanity together, to bind them all together, linking them and marking them and, 
you were a part of helping the church understand. Like, that's great. That's wonderful. But I want to be part of something bigger than just what the devil is doing. I want to know why, God. What? Why? Why all of this? Why the Garden of Eden? Why the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? Why the fall? The devil's plan? The answer is actually very simple. God's looking for friends. He's looking for a companion for his son. God wants a faithful companion. God's looking for a bride. Sounds simple. It is simple. We see it actually in Revelation chapter 19. Verse 6, Lord, we do ask you to open your word to us and speak to us by your spirit and help us to connect with your eternal plan to make the bride ready for her wedding day, to make her ready to meet her groom, her God, her Savior, Help us to live in light of this coming wedding day. That we might be faithful companions now, right now. Friends of Jesus. Faithful companions. We ask you, God, open your word now in the name of Jesus. This is... Revelation 19, of course, later on in this chapter, talking about the dustbin of of history, of course, you have the rider on the white horse, that's Jesus at his return, and what is he doing at his return? He actually has gathered the nations to war. What? I thought Jesus was nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, if you consider gathering the fallen to war so that he can slay them with the sword of his mouth and then feed them to the birds of the air, if, that's, does, if that falls under the category of nice, then yes, Jesus is nice. It's very nice. But this is the return of the king. The one who currently enjoys all authority in heaven and the earth. Yeah, the earth is still under a rebellion. Yes, the dragon is working behind the scenes and soon he's, the dragon's going to pop up as the beast. Yes, Fallen humanity is going to join with this rebellion. Yes, 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 yes. However, Jesus has all authority 
in heaven and in earth. So he is allowing the rebellion. Why would he do that? Because he has a winnowing fork in his hand. He has come to separate. These two images are like magnets. Two images throughout all of history will draw men, and everyone must choose. What will you choose? Will you choose the image of God in Christ? Do you see God when you look at Jesus Christ? When you read about Jesus in the New Testament, do you see God? Are you drawn to him? Is he the desire of your life? Or do you look at nature, the law of the jungle, are you ruled by lawlessness? And the man of lawlessness is your jam. Maybe you think, ah, the Bible's not for me. It doesn't speak to me. It doesn't speak my language. Is your language the language of Charles Darwin, the survival of the fittest? Are you out to get yours above everyone and everything else? When Jesus, God's son, came into the world, he wasn't getting his. In fact, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his execution, and he was praying, God, not my will, but yours be done. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Does that sound like a guy who's trying to get his. Does that sound like a guy trying to get everything he can get? Jesus said clearly, I can call on my Father and he'll send a legion of angels right here and we'll destroy this planet. All I have to do is whisper that request and this planet is destroyed. He was worthy, and he took his worthy life and laid it down. That is the image of God. When we see that, we are supposed to bow down and worship. This is my God, the uncreated, everlasting, almighty creator. And this is his son, Jesus like a magnet drawing men unto himself. Jesus said, I would be lifted up and draw all men to myself. But not all men have come. Some men look at the image of God in Christ and say, ah, that doesn't speak to me. That's not my thing. My thing's more like the law of the jungle, the survival of the fittest. I'm here to get all I can for as long as I can. It's about me. Well, then you fit perfectly under the heading of the other image that will rise in history. 
The Bible calls this the image of the beast. You see, unlike Jesus, who came and laid his life down for others, the beast is coming to make it all about the beast. The beast is going to get his. And it will be survival of the fittest. And guess what? The beast is going to be the fittest to survive. And maybe that's exactly your language. Maybe that's exactly the direction you want to go. You want to be marked by this beast. You want to tell yourself that you're on the way to technological evolutionary paradise. You're going to step into the realm of the gods with superhuman cognition as you merge with artificial intelligence. Maybe you look at a guy like Elon Musk and you're like, that guy says exactly everything I'm about because I'm all about me. He's all about him. And the image of the beast is all about the beast. You see, unlike Jesus, who took his life and freely laid it down, didn't have to, perfect in every way, he laid his life down so that you can be saved and be with him forever. He bled and died in your place because he is worthy. And God counted him worthy. He counted his blood worthy. He counted his life worthy. And now God has exalted him to the highest place and given him a name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee. But before that happens, God's going to let another image rise. And it's the image, not of God, but of the beast. So the beast will have the nation serve him. Because remember, this, the beast isn't about to lay his life down. Come on, that's not, it, actually it's not his, it's life down, right? This is the dragon come to the earth in networked intelligence, super intelligent network, an entity with godlike powers. And is this is this God of War coming to serve you and, and make your life is is his is its primary concern to make your life better in, in any way? No, it might seduce you to think that that's what it's about, but that's not what it's about. No, the beast is all about the beast. The beast wants you to worship the beast. The beast wants you to build an image to make an image for the beast. Because for the beast, it's all about the beast. And maybe if you're saying, you know, God's image in Christ, the God who came and laid his life down for others, who poured his life out as a sacrifice, that's not for me. No, I'm more law of the jungle. I'm more survival of the fittest. I'm more like the image of the beast guy. There is an image that is coming that is made, custom made for you. But you need to understand 
that when you cross that threshold and you leave your humanity behind, when you enter into your post-human future, merging with artificial intelligence, you are not taking a step up. You're taking the final step down. You are descending, not ascending. You're not transcending. You're descending. You're not evolving. You're devolving below the animals. You're being marked with the mark of the beast. Sealed. It's a physical, external, permanent marker that you belong to the beast. And all of that is going to result in fire. Like the whole thing's going to end up in a dumpster fire. So why spend all this time trying to understand what inevitably is going to just end up in a dumpster fire, in the lake of fire that burns forever? Well, it's important, number one, because it's the word of God. Number two, it does give us prophetic clarity so that we understand what's happening in our day and time so that we can watch with understanding. But more importantly than all of that, God says he shows his friends what he's going to do. God says this is about friendship. If we spend all of our time focusing on the things that will end in fire, what good is it? So Revelation chapter 19 ends with the return of Jesus on the white horse, slaying the beast and the false prophet. It says, Verse 20, the beast was captured, and with it, the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Revelation 19 ends with the return of Jesus on a white horse and a lake of fire opened up where the beast, remember the embodied beast, the image of the beast is the synthetic biological embodiment. So when it says God, Jesus throws the beast in to the lake of fire, he is throwing the biologically embodied beast that human beings have created with their own hands into the lake of fire. And into the fire with the beast goes the false prophet. The Antichrist goes right along with it. These two, the corporate head of fallen humanity, goes in there with the corporate head 
of the demonic, the beast, the false prophet, the ones who shared co-equally the authority over the earth. So it all ends in fire. So, wow, you know, it burns up. It's over. What are we with all of this, you know, knowledge about what the beast was going to do and all the books we wrote and all the demonology we understand? Like, where does that leave us? All the stuff we learned is now done. It's over. All the things that we understood about the enemy and his plan and exposing the enemy, it's finished. It's in a fire. It's burning in a lake. It's done. We can't end there. That's not what this is about. This is about a companion for Jesus. You see, when God created Adam, he said it's not good for Adam to be alone. So he made Adam Eve took a rib from Adam and from his flesh and bones he created a companion a friend who would be with him forever that would complement him complete him make him happy That's the story of the bride of Christ. It is a companion for God's Son. The bride of Christ is to Jesus as Eve was to Adam. Now, of course, Adam failed. Eve was seduced by a serpent. And when you play out that scenario, it's very easy for us to underestimate the power of sin, isn't it? I think, ah, what's the big deal? She ate, they ate some fruit. Big deal. What's the big deal? Can't eat fruit now. But then you do the math and you're like, wait, okay, there's more to it. They ate fruit for sure. They actually were killed by it. Adam and Eve died for it. The reason Adam and Eve died is because they ate that fruit. That's serious. Then you think about it a little bit more. You're like, wait. Because they ate the fruit, sin entered the world and God had to, and God sent his son to pay for that sin. How did he pay? He paid with perfect blood. The perfect blood of the worthy lamb was slain, was shed for us, because that was the only way to pay for what was done. So you're like, wow. Sin is serious. It 
killed Adam and Eve. And the only way it could be atoned for was with the perfect blood of the Lamb. Sobering. And then you take on top of that, finally and ultimately, if that sin is unrepented for, if it is persisted in, if it if humanity continues and persists in this rebellion against God, this eating of the fruit of knowledge, forsaking relationship with God, it ends in Armageddon. It ends with an insurrection, a war, where humanity goes to war with the Creator. When Adam and Eve departed from their creator and joined the serpent, took the bait, were seduced, what would follow is a pure tragedy. Because Adam, unrepentant Adam, would become the Antichrist, the man of sin. What begins in Adam with the beginning of sin, right? the sin's entry point into humanity culminates in the man of sin. Adam is directly linked to the man of sin, the Antichrist. It's the inevitable result of straying away from God. See, Adam betrayed Eve. Right? He turned against her very quickly when God was like, hey, what are you guys doing? Adam threw Eve under the bus. Hey, it's the woman you gave me. You know, trying to blame God, trying to blame Eve, trying to blame everybody but himself. Trying to blame everyone but himself. No ownership. Just betrayal. Well, that betrayal that Adam betrays Eve with, that Adam betrays God with, blaming God, blaming Eve, is the same betrayal that we see with the Antichrist. At the end of the age, the Antichrist is betraying the fallen, turning them away, diverting them away from their creator and handing them to the beast. The false prophet is here in Revelation 13 to do one thing, to point humanity away from the creator and deliver them into the power of the beast, to mark them and to cause them to worship the image of the beast, to become one with the beast. It starts in Adam. It culminates in the Antichrist. Same reality with Eve. Eve is seduced. She turns her heart from her creator and turns to a serpent. 
believes a lie, falls away, chases another lover. Eve turns out to be the great harlot. Revelation 17, 18. Who's the great harlot? It's fallen humanity who's chasing other lovers, who's turned their heart away from their creator and wants to sleep around with any takers. Given to idolatry and immorality. Eve chases the serpent, becomes the harlot, filled, intoxicated with idolatry and immorality. So we see Adam becoming the Antichrist. We see Eve becoming the harlot. This is what happens when sin is unrepented for. This is what happens when God lifts his hands and the restrainer, the restraining power of his hands lifted and Adam and Eve are allowed to fill out, to fulfill their ultimate desires and fantasies. Adam turns into the Antichrist. Eve turns into the great harlot. Where does that leave the serpent? Well, the serpent is coming back as the beast. The serpent led Adam and Eve into rebellion against God. In the Garden of Eden, he seduced them under his power and under his rebellion. That's where it started. Where it ends is a beast leading the Antichrist, the false, uh, the false prophet slash Antichrist, fallen humanity, the harlot humanity, into war against God. So the serpent begins by pitching the fruit, and he ends by leading them into battle against God. So the same three players that we have in the garden, we have an Arban. It's in Armageddon, from Eden to Armageddon. It's the same players. They're getting the band back together one last time. The serpent, Adam, and Eve. They're going to have one last throwdown as the beast, the Antichrist, and the harlot. God expelled them from Eden. He will slay them at Armageddon. He will throw the beast and the Antichrist into a fiery pit and he will slay all the rest of them, the fallen, and feed them to the birds of the air. The very same birds that God had made them to rule over. But what's it all for? Why? Why do all of this? Why does it have to come to this? 
companionship. God's looking for a friend. God's looking for a faithful companion, a bride. Why is it so important for us to be faithful in our marriages? Why is it so faithful for a husband to stay faithful to his wife and a wife to remain faithful to her husband? Because we are a symbol of an eternal reality. We are pointing to Christ and his church, his people, his companion, his city. It's eternal. It's forever. Jesus doesn't wake up some morning and get sick of his bride. He doesn't get sick of his friends. He doesn't wake up and go like, ah, I want to change things up. Going through a midlife crisis. You know, there's some other girls out there that are looking better than you right now. He does not do that. When he marries us, it is forever. And so when we symbolize his commitment to his church, it's very serious to him that we symbolize it, that we live it out in a right way, that we show our faithfulness to our spouse. Because Jesus is raising up a bride, a companion, a faithful companion. We see this in the beginning of Revelation 19, before, the, before Jesus returns and slays, every, slays the fallen in the field and feeds them to the birds, we see Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. It's about a wedding. It's about a companion. God is raising up a faithful companion for his son, that his son will enter into an eternal covenantal relationship with. He's looking for a friend. He's looking for a faithful companion to be with him forever. Now, I know we get excited about the blessings. We get excited about, oh, God's going to, you know, give me more money or more friends or more health. You name it, all those things are great. God doesn't have a problem with any of those things. They're all fantastic. We spend our time getting excited about all the things that God says are secondary. These are 
are not to be primary motivations for us. Our primary motive should be the same as God's primary motive. What is that motive? It's friendship with Him. Friendship with God. Companionship with Jesus Christ. What is God excited about? God's excited about a wedding. God's excited about raising up a faithful companion for His Son that his son will enter into an eternal covenant, a relationship that goes on forever. That's what God's excited about. So as we wrap up, you know, these the final concluding remarks of season two, which has covered a lot of ground, and I'm probably going to, Seal it up for now. Probably seal season two with this with this episode. Answering the question, what is it all about? God, what is it all about? It's about a faithful companion that stands true to Jesus. Because where Adam failed and betrayed Eve, Jesus, the last Adam, overcame. And is victorious. Where Adam seeded and gave up and gave over his authority to the serpent, Jesus took his authority and reigns over the serpent. And all authority in heaven and earth is given unto him. Adam gave up the authority. Jesus retains all authority and invites us in to reigning with him as God intended. And as Eve fell for the deceptions of the serpent, God is raising up a faithful companion who will say no to the beast, will say no to the dragon, and will stand true to her bridegroom, God. She will stand faithful and not fall for the deceptions of the evil one. Where Adam betrayed his spouse, where Adam handed over his authority, Jesus has overcome He has paid the price with his blood and he has been exalted to the highest place. Everything Adam has lost, Jesus has won. And in every way that Eve fell, was seduced and turned her back on her God, the bride will stand true to Christ to her bridegroom God and not fall for this end time delusion, not fall for this end time deception, but will stand true to the very end and will walk the aisle with her Savior.
So I guess I'll kind of leave it there for now. Um, I guess that's this is kind of signing off for season two. I feel like we walked through season one, season two. We're pretty much Genesis through Revelation laying out a new paradigm with which to understand God's end time plan to separate the wheat from the chaff, to raise up a faithful companion in the image of Christ to defy, resist, and overcome the dragon for the glory of his name. And in these episodes, we've discussed the enemy's plan to tether the fallen to himself. And we have described how God will dispatch the fallen, destroy them for their wicked deceptions and all the evil that they have done. God will usher in an eternal kingdom that is ever increasing, never fading. So saints, I pray you are blessed by what you're hearing. I pray that this is an encouragement to you. And, uh, Look, look forward to, uh, to me getting into season three, maybe changing up a few things, how I'm doing things. I'm going to be looking to up my game in the days to come as far as the podcast goes and in, in some different ways, bringing the ministry that the Lord has called me to, um, to, the, to the very best of my ability and what God will um, empower and give me grace to do. But this has been a pure joy to me to be ministering his word, to be standing with you, to be developing relationships with individuals who are listening. Let me know you're listening. Do me a favor. Subscribe to the podcast. Give me a review. Um, Reach out to me on social media. Go to my website. Check it out. I'm doing some new things there, too, as well. I appreciate you, saints, and I'm praying that you guys continue to be watching the signs of the times, praying for God's redemptive purposes, his kingdom will to be extended into the earth through our prayers and the declaration of his gospel, the the good news of his kingdom, to set the captives free, to bring salvation to all who believe. Watching, praying, and proclaiming. Catch you next season. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.